Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Well, my friends, in the hope of adding some true beauty to the world, I have a new book. It's called The Other Side of Beauty, and it is now out for purchase. No more pre-ordering. It's available for purchase now, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. And yes, that does include Amazon and my website, leadair.com. In this book, I confront the world's limited view of beauty and its negative impact on us women with a lot of research and statistics there for you. And then I give the you know alternative. I give the other side of beauty which is really about holiness and wholeness. And ultimately, it's the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So when when we desire this, when we desire the other side of beauty, when we desire Christ, we really can become and share true and lasting beauty. So I wrote this book. You can grab it, like I said, on anywhere good books are sold or Amazon, Leodero, all those things above. And you can join in and take part into the other side of beauty challenge there. Now, this podcast, the Do Something Beautiful podcast, is a now proudly sponsored by Haiti 180. Haiti 180 is a nonprofit organization that impacts the whole community with the joy of Christ in Haiti by providing homes, education, healthcare, and a life-changing experience through mission trips that Haiti 180 offers. So Haiti 180, you probably have heard me talk about them before. I have a couple podcasts available back in the archives that I interviewed Sean Forrest, who's the founder of Haiti 180. But Haiti 180 has built an orphanage that houses now 40 children. It has multiple elderly homes for those who have no one else to care for them. They have built a school that now provides education for over 200 children in Haiti. And they now have a medical clinic that they're in process of finishing up. That might sound familiar to you because many of you listeners of this podcast, you are so amazing. You you generously donated your money and we raised over $26,000 for the maternity wing of that medical clinic that is now breaking the ground and being built as we speak. Praise be to God. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're really excited here at the podcast here to have our first sponsor as Haiti 180 because I can't think of anybody better. It's just wonderful. I'm super happy about it. And of course, I vet everybody who you know wants to possibly offer to sponsor the podcast. And this is definitely one I stand behind 100%. I have been there myself. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have been there with Sean Forrest, the founder of Haiti 180, and I am amazed at everything God is doing in him and in the people of Haiti. It's just a fantastic organization. I fully back this completely. And if you're wanting to know how you can become more involved or ways that you can just add more beauty to your life, right? I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast. It could not be easier to answer the call to help the poor of Haiti than becoming a Team 180 member. And that's very, very simple. A Team 180 member is someone who chooses to give monthly on a recurring basis to help Haiti 180 help the people of Haiti. So 100% of all the funds go to helping the poor and keep and keeping this amazing organization up and running. Very easy to do. All you got to do is go to Haiti180.com, click donate. That's it. You set up your recurring payment. You can even do it through PayPal. Very easy. I myself am a Team 180 member. So I give monthly to this organization and I encourage you to do the same. It's such a beautiful an easy way to do something beautiful for God. Well, friends, today we get to talk to a pretty amazing human. Her name is Wesley Bogus. 
Wesley is a Christian. She's an army veteran and an army widow and a lifelong golfer. Wesley and I talk about her husband, Larry, and really what happened when she lost him in the army. And it's this is probably one of my favorite interviews ever. I have amazing guests and everybody knows I love my guests. I truly, truly do. But Wesley, not just because it's tragic and not because it also has a very good ending, but no, it's just there was something beautiful about this interview. I mean, whew, it was good. It was good, my friends. I came away like, and you'll hear it in the interview, I can barely keep it together. But it is really amazing. And I know I'm just saying all these adjectives and you're not, I'm not really giving you much information, but I don't need to because interview it itself just speaks for it. It's beautiful. She wrote a book called God Country Golf, Reflections of an Army Widow. I have the book. I bought this book. She signed it to me. It's beautiful. I'm going to treasure this forever. I have read this book and it is beautiful. It's beautiful. There's so many lessons for anybody going through anything in life, any rough patches that you can learn from her. She's got an amazing background with herself and her own military career in the army, how she met her husband in college, Larry. And then when she um, got the news that every wife in the army, every spouse in the army, when you have your spouse to other, you know, spouse deployed, it's the news you never want to hear. It's what you always fear. And she got it. She got the news. She got those army men coming to her door, knocking and telling her the worst possible thing that her husband, Larry, was killed during his deployment. So she's going to bravely talk about that story. I can barely keep it together for the bio here that I do after the interview. So you can imagine me during the interview. But it's beautiful. Wesley's heart is so centered. She's probably one of the most centered women I've ever spoken to. You can tell deeply rooted in Christ, deeply rooted in her faith. She was a joy to speak to, even though she was talking about tragedy and pain and suffering. She radiates this beautiful joy, the joy that can come out of suffering, the joy that you don't expect, the joy that's not necessarily this big, huge smile, but it's just the confidence in knowing that you're not walking alone. I loved it. I really enjoyed Wesley as as a woman, as a person, and as a survivor. It's a beautiful, beautiful interview that we did. I mean, by the fact that she gets up and breathes every day is something beautiful for the Lord. It's just, she's amazing. You can find out everything in the show notes. I highly encourage you to get this book. This was wonderful. Every minute, every sentence I read was not at all a waste of my time. It was wonderful. I loved it. I cried with it. I laughed with it. I was taking notes in between it. It was really amazing. And it's just, I love the fact that she has this beautiful honor, even 10 years now since the day when Larry was killed where she's continuing to honor her husband. It's just gorgeous. I loved it. All of the links are in my show notes for you to get all of the information that she talks about. And you can obviously grab the book, God Country Golf on Amazon and also on the website that's listed in the show notes. So I'm just going to leave that there. I really, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to listen to what Wesley has to say. So without further ado, here is Wesley Boggess. And welcome back to the podcast and a very, very special welcome to Wesley Boggess. Wesley, I'm so happy to have you here with us. Thank you, Leah. I am delighted. I'm so excited to do something beautiful with you. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. 
So we are, oh, I am just, I'm so happy that we get to talk to you today. We're talking today about, about a topic that we don't really talk about that often. And it's not addressed nearly enough in terms of our military and those that we lose in the military. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We have your new book out, God Country Golf. Now, now this just came out in May. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I have had this book on my heart for years and years, and I really felt like God was calling me to tell our story. And so just, you know, in God's perfect timing, everything lined up and we were able to release the book in May 2017, which was 10 years, almost to the day that we lost my husband. Right. And, and we're talking about Larry here. Now, for those who are just now joining and you didn't grab the introduction here, Wesley, she's a Christian. She's an army veteran. She's an army widow and a lifelong golfer, which is neat. And I can't wait to get into that really quickly. You are a speaker for two military charities and um, you live out in North Carolina, correct? Yes. Okay, great. So this is the 10-year anniversary, close to the 10-year anniversary. So let's go back there. Let's go back to that. I mean, let's go back to that moment. I mean, I guess when everything changed everything. And some people know, probably many people know if you listen to the podcast, my husband, Ricky, is in the Army. So this topic is very near and dear to my heart. And you, Wesley, have lived through the nightmare, the fear of, I think, probably every military spouse out there. Right. So, oh my goodness, where to begin? So as you said, I am a Christian. I am a veteran myself. Larry and I met in college in the Army ROTC program at Appalachian State University in Boone, North Carolina. And we served together as lieutenants and captains. And we were married for nearly 14 years. And Larry was serving with the 82nd Airborne Division out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And he deployed to Afghanistan in February 2007. And I was at home with our daughters. And I was volunteering as I was out of the army at that point. I served as lieutenant and captain and then got out when it was time for us to start a family. Mm -hmm. And so we had two daughters, Ryan and Ellie. Ryan was six and Ellie was four. And Larry was deployed to Afghanistan. On May 14th of that year, Larry went into Pakistan, actually, with his commander, with leadership from the United States and leadership from Afghanistan into Pakistan to conduct a border flag meeting, which was basically a peace meeting. Right. And um, right. You know, Afghanistan and Pakistan have been skirmishing across um, their borderline for years and years and years. And, and they called a meeting. And, and so Larry went into Pakistan to help negotiate peace. And the girls and I were at home. We were living on Fort Bragg. We were living on post. I was running a the family readiness group for Larry's battalion. And what that is, is basically we have volunteer leadership that acts as a liaison between our unit uh, that's deployed and the families that are back home. And we, we share information and we talk with the our unit that's that's deployed and then share that information with our family members. And if I'm getting ahead of, of everything, please let me know. But No, it's great. Okay. So in, in Pakistan on May 14th, by all accounts, that meeting was successful. Larry's commander was able to tell me that they reached an agreement. Um, at the end of the day, they shook hands. They exchanged coins, military coins. And right. They even posed for pictures. And um, Those are all definitely, were, and from my experience and what, what I know, and obviously what you know, I mean, th- those are all really good signs. So is the coins, the pictures, the whole thing is, 
typically right. is typically when things are very good. If, if you know, especially when you're at war, that if there's a good thing about war, that that would be like a good moment. Yes, yes, it was historic and, and phenomenal for those two countries and the representatives from those two countries to reach an agreement. And as you said, you know, the exchanging of a military coin is a time-honored tradition. And you know, shaking hands and posing for pictures, it was just so normal and so amazing. And and I was able to talk to several of the men who were there that day and, and they all agreed that, that was that was a moment and it was an accomplishment. And as they were coordinating transportation back to the helicopter landing zone, a Pakistani general offered Colonel Baker and the senior leadership a ride in special SUVs, and he refused because they had walked in from the helicopters that morning. And the plan was for them to walk back out. And so Colonel Baker refused a few times. And then the Pakistani general was just very adamant. And so he didn't want to be disrespectful. So they accepted a ride. And Larry could have ridden in the SUVs because he was a major. But just the way Larry was wired, he loved being with soldiers. He loved being with his men. So he, he decided to ride with the men in the back of a pickup truck instead. And the, the senior leader vehicles took off very quickly fast enough that it was a little bit unusual and our soldiers noticed that, but really didn't think too much of it. And Larry pulled out the radio to communicate with the helicopters while his men were boarding the back of the pickup truck. And once the coordination was made, Larry put the radio away and his men were already settled in the back of the pickup truck and he began to climb aboard um, the tailgate. And there was a Pakistani soldier, a, a uniformed Pakistani frontier guardsman was behind the pickup truck and he had the mission to provide security for our element. But instead of doing that, he raised his rifle and he opened fire um, mm. on our men. And Larry was standing between the shooter and his men. And he took the brunt of the assault on his feet. He gave his life protecting his men. And several of them were wounded that day by gunfire. But by Larry's actions, his men had time to react and return fire. And they were able to fight their way out of that schoolyard back to the helicopters. And, and Larry gave his life that day protecting his men. And our daughters, Ryan and Ellie, and I have spent the last 10 years learning how to live without him. Jeez. In 10 years of learning how to live without Larry, I mean, where are you at in that process? I can't even begin to imagine. There's no way I can say I understand. I just, I can't, obviously, but I can't imagine that immediate presence and that loss gone, even though there's this element of I mean, you you know Larry better than anybody. You know your husband. You know the type of man he is. I'm sure it's not surprising to you that his actions that day were that. But still, the outcome, you never want the outcome to be that. I mean, so in 10 years, where, I mean, honestly, I said, like, where are you and your girls at and living without and living without Larry? Right. Well, we, you know, number one, we're so proud of him. We're so proud of Larry and so honored by his life, you know, and by his actions and, and the legacy that he's left behind. You know, in that first year, some dear friends very lovingly told us, oh, you just have to get through that first year. You have to get through the first birthday, the first anniversary, the first Christmas. And that was sweet advice. But at the same time, you know, the second year wasn't, you know, remarkably better. Um, <laughs> right. and, and, you know, like it, it wasn't a switch, like, oh, the year of mourning, and then you're fine. because. What we've learned is we continue to go through firsts. The firsts don't stop, especially with these girls. You know, they, they have their first time behind the wheel. You know, I taught Ryan how to drive. I'm t teaching Ellie how to drive. And 
And their daddy was always going to do that. And so their first driver's license, you know, and then you go through the first date, the first date, the first homecoming, the first prom. And Ryan's a senior in high school now. And so she's going to graduate high school. And so they're going to continue to have all these firsts and their daddy's not here to experience that with them. But I will tell you, by our faith, we know without a doubt, Larry's in heaven and we know he can see us and we know he can hear us. Amen. And so, yeah. And so those girls, they don't have Larry in their immediate presence, but they have his legacy and they, they carry him with them and they know that, that they can, that he can see them. And so they drive on with a special motivation. They still want to make him proud. They still want to earn his sacrifice, if that makes sense. So right. these girls and so many children of our fallen service members, they drive on with that special motivation. They get it. They understand the value of life and they understand the value of each day and how precious life is. And so we are still growing. You know, we are still learning how to live without him because there's so many times that I would, I ask myself, okay, what would Larry do in this situation? How would he handle this? And so his legacy is still alive in us. And I still draw from our experiences in our life together to help me raise these girls. Yeah. Amen. I love this book that you wrote. I have it right here on my desk. I'm looking at it. God, Country, Golf. And what I noticed when I was reading it is that this isn't just a book for military widows. This isn't a book just for those in the military who've lost a spouse. This is for me, especially being a military wife. I really felt like this book was for me. This is book, this book really made me feel very connected to the, my huge military family all over the world. And to also, you know, look into the window of the soul of someone who has, who has gone through that loss that no one wants to sign up for. You know, no one wants that. And so it was so. It provided me with so much more than I thought when I began to read it. And I was very interested in reading it no matter what, but I was like, wow, this is it's allowing me to share your life with you and also to take those lessons that you've learned in dealing with something that nobody wants to deal with and apply them to my life today. There's a piece in the book, a part where one of your company commanders, I think it's Captain Brian Gray, if I have that right. He said something to you and you took it during this difficult time after your loss with Larry. And he said, you can choose the easy way or the hard right. Is that correct? That's or, I'm sorry, said. you can choose the easy wrong or the hard right. I'm sorry. That's right. When I was a lieutenant in the 101st, Captain Gray was my company commander. And he said, Lieutenant Bogus, in, in every day you will have to make decisions. And in every decision, you have two choices. You can choose the easy wrong or the hard right. And that never left me. And I understood that completely when he told me, and I understand it just as clearly today. And it's, it's true. And you can think about so many examples. If you're walking down the street, if there's a, a cracker wrapper on the sidewalk, do you walk by and choose the easy wrong and just leave it there and think, oh, somebody else will pick it up? Or do you choose the hard right and pick it up and throw it in the next garbage can? You know, and that just little, very simple efforts are, you know, that hard right but they are relatively simple sometimes, you know, and it just makes the world a better place. Okay. So for, so for you, I'm so curious for you personally, in this moment, you lose Larry. What was the easy wrong after that? Right. The easy wrong, I think would have been just to disconnect, 
would have been to retreat into our house and our world and just kind of go to the dark side. It, it would have been very easy to be bitter. It would have been very easy to be stuck in anger. And I have a great example. When we came home from Larry's funeral, we lived on this, we lived on Fort Bragg on this beautiful street called Virginia Place. And it was just, you could have, you could make a movie out of that street and just the neighbors and the relationships that we had. And we were driving down our street and we were just brokenhearted and so sad. And as we were approaching our house and our house was on the left, I looked to the right and I saw this little gaggle of ladies hmm. and they were all my friends and they were on one of the ladies porch. And I just saw them there and it wasn't coordinated. It wasn't planned. They didn't know when we were coming home and they were just standing there. And, and I pulled into our driveway and I knew in that moment I had a decision to make. I could choose the easy wrong. I could just go inside with my mother and our two daughters and go inside and just lock the rest of the world out. Or I could choose the hard right and walk across the street and embrace my neighbors and let them know that we're going to be okay. And I just needed to convey that message to them because I wanted them to feel comfortable around us. And had we gone inside and closed the door, I would have left them like thinking, well, what do we do? Do we knock on the door? Do we approach her? Do we not? And so that's what we did. So we pulled into the driveway. We had picked up a pizza on the way home. I sent my mom and the girls inside and I walked across the street with a lump in my throat and uh. in my face and tears in my eyes. And they had the same thing. They had tears in their eyes too. And they just greeted me with open arms and we hugged and we cried and we just embraced each other. And then it just, you know, that was huge. It was a huge moment. And it was my way of telling them, we're still here. I'm still here. I'm still me, still love me and still, you know, hang out with me because even though our world has changed significantly, I needed my friends. I needed my neighborhood. I needed our street and we needed some sense of normal. And so that was, that was my hard right moment. And that was the best decision that I made in the, the early, those early days to just express comfort to my neighbors because then they could give that back to us tenfold. Amen. I'm I'm so happy that you shared that story. It was one of my favorites so far in the book. And I was like, oh, I was, I was hoping you were going to share it. I remember when I read that piece and when you just shared it, it automatically makes me think of just my own life in so many different areas, but also just looking out into our world and seeing that suffering is something that we just, it's obviously it's suffering and it's uncomfortable. And a lot of the times we choose to stifle it and to push it away and we don't want to deal with suffering head on. So we medicate it or we ignore it or we deny it. But there's a lot of peace and healing that come from choosing the hard right and just saying, I guess, just facing it, facing the music, facing the suffering and realizing that you know, if you don't start dealing with suffering, you'll never be able to get to the point of living peacefully with that. Right, right. And I knew fairly quickly, I knew that I couldn't run from my grief. I couldn't just bury it and, and turn my back on it and run the other way because grief has this funny way of catching up to you. And there's a great book, if I can mention it, called Military Widow. And it was a book that was given to me very shortly after Larry died. And I refused to open it at first because I refused to say, to call myself a widow. But then I eventually read it and there was a really good section in there called grief work. And it was like basically a how-to, like this is what you have to do to face that grief. And it's, you know, and it just, you just have to acknowledge what was lost. And, and I will tell you that 
Larry was killed three months into a 15-month deployment. So we had an entire year that his unit was still deployed. And I found myself saying, well, he wouldn't be home now anyway, because all of my girlfriends in the unit, their husbands were all still deployed. And basically our whole street on Virginia Place, those husbands were deployed as well. And they weren't exactly in Larry's same unit, but they were either in Iraq or Afghanistan. So all my girlfriends on the street had deployed husbands. So I really found myself saying, he wouldn't be home now anyway. So for that whole year, everything was relatively normal until those service members came back home. And and I went to Green Ramp to welcome Larry's unit home. And while I knew during that whole year, I knew this loss that we had suffered, it really hit home when the rest of the men came home. And that was huge. And so I feel like I sort of did my grief work in that first year, but I really started working on it in that second year. And I just, I never wanted to take any medication. I never took anything. I did speak with a Christian counselor who was wonderful. And and I had wonderful friends and amazing family. Larry's family is unbelievable. They're just wonderful. And I just, you know, God blessed me with wonderful family and wonderful friends. And we got through it together. And I'm I'm pretty stubborn and independent and I was in the army and <laughs> I can be pretty bullheaded, you know, like I can do it myself, but I knew I needed to allow people to help me. And that was very, very important. It's easy to, to feel like, no, I'm going to handle this myself. I'm going to lock myself away and deal with it. But you know, the hard right again is to accept the help from other people and let them love you through it. Let them come alongside you and help you. Right. I agree. I, you know, I think, and I would love to know your thoughts on this. I've, I've experienced loss before, um, not from a spouse, but from people close to me that have died in tragic and unexpected ways. And I've, I remember hearing from somebody, my, when I was 12, my grandpa was murdered and it was, you know, obviously nobody prepares you for something like that as many unexpected deaths are. And so I remember at the funeral, someone very well-meaning had said, don't worry, you know, it's going to be okay. You're going to get over this. And you know, I, I mean, I know that their heart was in the right place, of course. And I've come for me personally to kind of just take the stance that I'm not going to get over somebody who is in my life that is now gone, who is so important to me and so present to me every day of my life. But I will learn to deal with their absence better this side of heaven. You know, it's just, I don't necessarily, I'm going to get over that, but I'm going to deal with it better each day. Right. Well, I'm so sorry to hear about your grandpa. I had such a tight relationship with my grandfather too. So that is, that is very sad. I'm very sad about that. But I, I agree. You know, some people say time heals all wounds. And I disagree with that because I think some wounds don't heal. I think you get used to them. I think they get stronger, reinforced maybe. But right. I just, I don't think you get over a loss like that. I think you just, you find a way to drive on in spite of it. And speaking of that, some of those lessons you talked about grandparents and also bringing up the we've talked definitely about our country in terms of, you know, military and and love of that. Obviously, God is present in this conversation. Praise be to God. And then golf, especially with your book, God Country Golf. Golf is something that entered into your life, from what I understand, because of your grandfather. Is that correct? Yes, that's true. So the title of the book is God Country Golf. But those influences actually came into my life in the reverse order. Um, but I titled the book God Country Golf because, of course, God gets top billing. Um, <laughs> but I, I, my character was originally shaped on the golf course with my grandfather. 
And he took me on the course when I was nine years old. And he actually cut down a little seven iron and put a grip on it. And he would send me into the rough to look for pine cones and mushrooms while he was playing golf in the fairway for real. And I would just keep time with him and, and travel up the rough to keep up with him. And I would just whack those pine cones and I'd look for mushrooms to hit. And one day I found this mushroom that was perfect. It was the perfect size of a golf ball and it had a stem that was just like a tee. And I did, there was just something about that moment and I, I'll never forget it. And I, I took a deep breath and exhaled and gripped the club and, and stared at that mushroom and I swung and I hit that thing and I hit it so perfectly. It just busted into about a dozen pieces <laughs> and I held my finish just as if I was a professional golfer and there were as a gallery of photographers taking my picture. And the best part about that moment was that my grandfather saw me mm. and he came running over and he said, that's the swing, Wesley, and that's the swing. And that was the beginning of my, my a lifetime of golf. And he took me to the driving range and he taught me more than just the swing and the fundamentals and the grip and the stance. He taught me the etiquette and the courtesy and the history of golf. And that initially shaped my character because in golf, you call penalties on yourself. In golf, you count your own strokes and you have to count every single one of them. Even if you miss the ball, you count that. And he taught me how to respect the golf course. And he taught me how, he taught me integrity. And so I played with my grandfather and then I played high school golf and that earned me a scholarship to Appalachian. I played golf in college. And then while I was in college, I discovered the ROTC program. And this is where you met Larry too, right? And this is where I met Larry. Okay. Well. Yes. So I learned in the ROTC program, I learned about the army values, which are loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And I thought, wow, I learned most of these on the golf course. And so I thought, okay, I can, I can handle these. And I just kind of fell in love with those army values. And then I met Larry and through our courtship down the mountain with him to visit with his family, went to church with them and and I, I really didn't grow up going to church on Sunday. I, we, I grew up playing golf on Sunday. And so going to church and being in, in that environment and learning the Christian values, I began to learn that, wow, these all these values are connected. These right. country golf right. values are all connected. And so I just, that's really what this book is about, is about connecting the dots between army values and Christian values and golf values and how they came together to give me strength and they came together to just remind me what's important. And they really, really have helped me overcome the loss of my husband. Amen. Amen. I, I, I love it. Now, you are involved in a few different military charities now that you're pretty active with. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I am just so blessed to lend my voice to two military charities. One is local out of the Pinehurst area here in North Carolina called the Patriot Foundation. And one is national out of Owasso, Oklahoma, and that's called the Folds of Honor Foundation. And both charities raise funding for educational scholarships for children of fallen and wounded or disabled veterans. And I just can't think of a greater cause. And it was actually just in Houston, Texas at a Folds of Honor event. And just on the heels of that tragic, tragic shooting in that Texas church. And just everybody was stunned and very hurt by that. And of course, hurt by the actions in New York City and Las Vegas as well. And, you know, with just everything that's going on in our country right now is at a Folds of Honor event. And it there were American flags everywhere. And 
golfers dressed in patriotic colors in mm. you know, shorts and pants that were red, white, and blue and, and red shirts and blue shirts and just amazing and, and American flags everywhere on the golf courts and all over the golf course. And it's just such a wonderful it's, uh, organization and they get it and they understand that freedom isn't free and they, they respect and they value our service members and our military families. And they honor that sacrifice by helping to educate that legacy. They have a heart for the, the children of fallen and wounded service members and spouses of fallen and wounded service members. And they are taking a huge step to provide these scholarships so that they can get a wonderful education. And that's something that Larry would, would want for our girls. Yes. And, and so I'm just delighted to lend my voice to both organizations. And by doing that, I speak and I say Larry's name out loud. And that is just such a wonderful blessing. And, and the scripture I've leaned on most recently in, in the, the last year or so is Acts 4.20 that says, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Hmm. And, and that's the scripture that really guided this book. And that's the scripture I lean on every time I speak for those two military charities, because I think it's, it's important to share what we've seen and heard and spread that message and keep the memory of our service, fallen service members alive. Right. Because there's there, there's really, you know, when you think about the whole population here of, of the USA, there's not many in the military, right? Right. There's less than 1% of our nation's population serves in uniform. And the rest of the 99% of us sleep under the blanket of freedom that they provide. Amen. And I just, I think, you know, every American should just, just embrace that and understand that and thank a service member, you know, and they can reach out to these organizations in particular, the Folds of Honor Foundation and the Patriot Foundation, because that's a very tangible way they can say thank you and honor and lift up a military family of service members who gave that last full measure of devotion for our country. Yes. Uh, I know that song you're talking about. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And we will make sure that we have those links in the show notes just so for you that are listening that are that are drawn right now to do something and to participate and, and see what you can do to help those two foundations, we'll make sure we add all of those links in the show notes so that you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to remember it. I'll have it all there for you. Wesley, you've you've talked about your your faith in God, how that's obviously been the cornerstone and that what you've relied on to get through everything from the darkest moments to the ones kind of slowly coming out of it. And in the book, there was something that I read that I found really profound and interesting. And it was when you were describing and you're telling the story of your daughter, Ryan's baptism. Yes. That rocked me what you wrote there. I have it right here. If you have the book, it's on page 277. <laughs> you'll want to, you want to like, I have it like underlined and like, oh my goodness, I'm was just reading what you wrote. But you know, you wrote it. It's your life. It's your book. Would you mind sharing that piece with us? Right. That moment. Oh my goodness. So, so Larry, uh, by our faith, we're Baptists and we believe in believers baptism. And, and that is, and you, you choose, that's something you choose for yourself. And so Ryan, about April, 2011, Ryan started feeling like it was time and she was ready to be baptized. So on May 1st, 2011, Ryan we set up Ryan's baptism and, and Pastor John Cook was our, our pastor then. And he's a army veteran, uh, retired army chaplain and just wonderful. So Ryan was baptized at 11 o'clock on May 1st, 2011. 
And just, I was, you know, backstage, if you will, and I watched her just be submerged under the water and then come up anew. And John Cook always says, you know, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that others may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. Yes. And she lit a candle and she just, oh, she just was glowing. <laughs> I can imagine you're just so proud and you're so happy as her mama. Oh my goodness. Just, you know, that lump in the throat and tears in the eyes. And I, oh, I just, I'm so proud of her. And it was just such a moment. And I remember lying in bed that night and just reflecting on that day and just how proud I was of her. And I just was kind of talking with Larry, you know, as if, you know, just like you talk to God, just in a prayer, I was just kind of talking to Larry. And my cell phone chimed and it was my sister-in-law and she was like, turn on the TV. And I thought, okay, you know, so I turned on the TV and and I saw Geraldo Rivera on TV, letting the world know that Osama bin Laden had been found and killed. And I just froze. (sighs) I almost couldn't even feel my body at that moment. And I thought it was 11 o'clock at night. So 12 hours Later, 12 hours after Ryan was baptized, after she gave her life to Jesus and was, you know, rose out of that water and knew our amazing, amazing Navy SEALs found him and the life of our country's and really the world's number one terrorist. And I know as a Christian, I should not rejoice in the death of, of any human being, but you know, I have to just tell you, I was just so relieved. Yes. And And just, I, you know, sat down and bowed my head and said a prayer. And I just thanked, I thanked God that, you know, that man that started this horrible war on terror was finally found and the Navy SEALs got him. And so that was a moment. I mean, that was just, just unbelievable. And, um, and then about, oh my goodness, six weeks later, Ellie was baptized and and I of course can't reveal any names of, of anybody, but. But one of the members that that was there that day was in the congregation the day that Ellie was baptized. And, and we got to complete the circle and I got to shake his hand. And it was a moment. And I just felt like, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. And for that to happen on the same day and for me to actually shake the hand of somebody that was there, it was closure for us. Absolutely. I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, and you're right. We don't rejoice in like a death of a person, but we rejoice in the ending of evil. <laughs> right. And that is, that is a good thing. This piece in the book, Wesley, that, that rocked me, as I'm sure I can imagine it did you personally and experiencing it. And I love how you phrased it. If you have right here at the very end, I just want to read this little piece that you wrote. It was so beautifully written. You said, Ryan gave her life to Jesus. She rose from the water, born again. Osama bin Laden, our nation's number one enemy, the man who started this treacherous war was gone. The next day he was put into water, never to rise again. Right. Oh, oh, it is. Oh, I mean, I I mean, there's like so many underlinings on this whole page. I was like, I got to stop. I got to put my pen down because I'm marking up your book too much. But it was just I was rocked by that, by by how you were, that's just so beautifully connected, how you're talking about the baptism and the new life that Christ gives us. When we do give our life to him, when we say that we believe, when we say that we're going to give our life completely to him in all ways, and that is what baptism does, this beautiful grace that he gives us to start new, this new life in Christ. And then literally Osama bin Laden, this whole thing happens on the same day. And as we all know, I remember watching, I remember watching that huge naval ship and him going into the water. I'm just like, wow, wow. 
I was just a beautiful, beautiful connection you made with water of the whole thing in your life at that point. And like you said, the closure that it provided, you know, a little bit later with Ellie's baptism too. Right. And that was so important to Larry, you know, because Larry brought me to, to our faith. And it was so important to to raise these girls in church. And it was it was something that sadly he didn't he didn't live to see in person, but I have no doubt he was there for both of their baptisms. He was able to see that and that was a um, you know, a promise to him that was fulfilled. Yes, as so beautiful. I that was one of my favorite chapters, chapter twenty one here in the book. That was Oh, it was so good. Wesley, that was great. I I mean, there's there's a piece of closure that I think many of us could get behind when you talk about that. Obviously from a different perspective, but there was a piece of closure in reading that chapter for me too and in reading that it was so it was so beautiful. So Wesley, okay, so so all these things are kind of going on and you've got these great foundations that you were part of and that you speak of now. I have to ask you this question. I mean, I'm just just very, very curious because I do a lot of public speaking. I share a lot of pieces of my life that aren't so great. And then I share the mercy and the glory of, of Jesus Christ and his transformation power. So I understand a little bit about sharing stories and reliving things, not to the extent and the level that you have. But does talking, does talking and sharing all of this about Larry and his life and his death, does that make you relive it in a negative way or is it healing for you? I mean, how does that work for you personally? I know it's probably different for every person. Right. I suppose it would be different for every person. For me, it's not reliving it in a bad way. It's honoring Larry. It's honoring his service and his sacrifice. It is such a blessing to say his name out loud. And it is, it's, I don't know how else to describe it, but a blessing to be able to talk about him because his life is worth remembering and his story is worth telling. And every time I get to talk about him, people will come up to me afterward and they will thank me for telling his story. And they'll say, you know, I'm so sad. I never got to meet him, but I feel like I know him now through you. And I love that. And what a legacy that is. (laughs) And so, yeah, Yeah. it's just, so it's a hundred percent positive. I've, Knock on wood, you know, I just don't, I've never had a bad experience speaking about Larry. And because the point is to honor, you know, honor Larry, but he represents thousands and thousands of others. And I feel like I represent thousands and thousands of widows and surviving families. And and I don't take that lightly. And I want to represent them the very best I can. And I just, you know, I think it's a blessing. And if we went the opposite way and we never spoke of Larry, then I just think that would be a shame. And it would, it would be too bad because like I said, Larry's worth remembering and he's worth sharing with the world. Yes, he because is. Because he's not here to do that himself. Yes, he is. You're absolutely right. And I, I definitely champion your words and, and your cause behind it because you do represent so many others. You represent the other, the other women who've lost their husbands, you, you know, and, and Larry represents so many others who've given the ultimate sacrifice. And for our freedom, because as you said, freedom is not free. Wesley, there's there's a few things more I want. I'd like to ask you. Can you give? I, I like. I, I'd love to know your opinion or you know your thoughts on this. What advice could you give other widows, especially military widows, going through what you've been through and what you what, what you still go through? Right. Well, for me, I you know I leaned on my faith. I I was never angry with God. 
I, I have a few questions for him, but, <laughs> but I was never angry with him. And I never turned my back on my faith because even in those deepest valleys, I knew God was there yeah, and, and I knew he would see me through. And I feel like in, you know, in today's world, God doesn't do bad things. God didn't kill Larry. Right. But, you know, there is evil. There's an evil presence. And Larry always used to say the enemy has a vote, you know, so like our guys are the good guys and they're fighting the bad guys, but the bad guys have a vote, you know, and so they, they're not just going to go, oh, okay, you know, we're going to stop just because you said so. So I just feel like, and I don't know where I'm going with this, but God, he was with me every single step of the way. And he gave me the tools that I needed to get through. Now, I do have several friends who are walking this path and don't have that, that faith. And they've, they've kind of, they've been angry with God and, and it's hard for them to come back to that. So I think everybody has their own story and their own way of dealing with their pain and with their loss. And yeah. so, you know, it's difficult for me to give advice to another widow other than to say, just, you know, if, if somebody is offering help, it's okay to take it. It's okay to lean on your friends. It's okay to talk to somebody because it's just so important to, to get your thoughts and, and get your concerns and your worries and your frustrations out. Because if you keep that, if you keep that inside, I don't think that's very, very healthy and no. very helpful. So, no. so whoever that, that dearest friend is, or that counselor or that Christian counselor or pastor at your church or, or anybody who's willing to listen to you, it's just so important to talk about how you're feeling and what you're going through. It is. Amen. I, I, that, that's absolutely wonderful. Okay. So what about, what could you help us with? Like, like what, what advice could you give? What are your thoughts on, on those of us who want to reach out and help somebody who's in this position, but we're not sure what to say or what to do? How could you help us <laughs> help others? Right, right. So often, um, and, and I, I deal with this too, you know, I don't know what to say to another widow. I don't always know what to say or what to do. And it's okay to not say anything. It's okay just to come alongside them and sit on the couch and hug them or just be there. And, you know, it's not always necessary to fill the air with words, especially when you don't know what to say. So I would say just what I remember the most and the most helpful were the people who were in my house who answered the phone for me when I didn't want to talk to anybody people who answered the door and accepted deliveries or spoke to people who came by when I really just didn't have the strength to visit and talk with somebody. The ladies who provided meals for us, the ladies who came in and cleaned my house, those were just priceless yes. treasures, you know, such yes. wonderful moments. And they just came alongside us and helped us in so many ways. So in those early days, that was very, very helpful. And I remember those ladies took such good care of us that when that time was over and they went back to their house and we were left inside our house on our own, the telephone rang and I looked around and I was like, okay, who's going to answer the phone? Oh, I guess I need to answer the phone. <laughs> I'm here by myself now, you know? And so there are things you can do. One thing that, that I thought was very, very special was, you know, in those early, early days, we so many just wonderful people sent us flowers and sent us gifts. And, and we came in from Larry's funeral after I went across the street and hugged my neighbors. With, I came inside the living room and 
there were flowers everywhere and our house smelled like a florist and looked like a florist and it was just wonderful. And about a, a month later, when the flowers had had long, you know, wilted and drifted away, and we began cleaning, the doorbell rang and a flower arrangement arrived a month to the day that we lost Larry. And it was just a very special neighbor who wrote in the card, you know, I wanted to send you something after the other flowers had all faded away to let you know we're still thinking about you. And I thought that was precious. Mm-hmm. And so I think you know, in that time when, in the early days when someone loses something, there's such a fear, there's such a, a flurry and a, and it's a busy time. But a, a month later, two months later, a year later, that's when I think it's so meaningful to send, you know, a little bouquet of flowers or something, because that lets that widow know that, okay, clearly people are going on with their lives, but somebody thought to send a little something you know, after the fact when everything right. settles and everything's quiet again. Yeah. To know you're not forgotten, you know, your, right. your loss is not forgotten. That person you lost is not forgotten. That's so important. I mean, so important on so many different levels. And it's such an easy, an easy token of gratitude of friendship that we can do for others to really do something beautiful to like, let them know, like you said, that they're not alone and they're not forgotten and, uh, and that you love them, frankly. Right. I have a very dear friend. Her name is Katie Bricker. And a fellow military spouse, and she called me on the 14th of every month Ugh. for a little over a year. And she called me on every holiday. And it was just sweet, you know, and it just, it was just her way of sharing her love with me and her support and letting me know that, that we were not forgotten. And to this day, she's just such a dear friend and her husband as well. And, you know, just, that's something beautiful that you can do for somebody. Amen. You talk about, that's, I mean, you talk about living out the gospel. I mean, people, it doesn't have to be finding a mountain and start screaming from the top. You do, it's, it's, it's loving your friends. It's being present. It's doing, it's doing the, it's doing what you said from the very beginning that your company commander says it's, it's choosing the hard right when you could have done the easy wrong. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, a story I like to tell when I speak, if we have time for me to tell it. Yes, of um, course. And uh, it's called The Story of the Starfish. And it goes like this. There's a man walking down the beach and he comes up upon a boy who's picking something up and throwing it in the water and approaching the boy. He says, son, what are you doing? And the boy said, sir, the tide came in and washed up all these starfish on the shore. And then the tide went back out again and left them here. If I don't do something, they'll die. And the man said, son, look at that shoreline. There's hundreds, maybe thousands of starfish. You're not even making a difference. And the boy thought about that for a second. He bent down, he picked up a starfish and he threw it in the water. And he said, sir, I made a difference for that one. Mm. And I thought that is profound. Like that was just the best story I ever heard. And it was told to me by Ellie's fifth grade principal when they had their little fifth grade graduation and they were getting ready to go to middle school. And, And that was her challenge to them was, do something, do one something for one somebody, and you've made a difference in the world. And I think that's it. And, and, you know, Katie, Katie was just, she was the boy, you know, and she, every, the 14th of every month, she called me and it was just such a simple thing to do, but it meant so much to me. And it made a difference in my day. It made a difference in my month. And, and it was just very special. So we can do very, you know, just the little things are so beautiful and they make such a big difference. Yeah. Small things with great love. Yes. That's it. Small things with great love. Amen with that. Okay. 
Okay, Wesley, you've been so good. You've been so good to us. You've given us such an amazing time together. I'm going to ask you five things and then a challenge in a moment. But first, I just want to say, just want to take this time to, I guess, from me and from all of the Do Something Beautiful podcast listeners, I just wanted to thank you for your service, for your husband's service, and for your husband's ultimate sacrifice for our country. I don't think I'll probably get through this without crying, but that's okay. That's okay because that's who I am and everybody knows it. But thank you so much. It's so, it's so trite just to say thank you, but I don't know what else to do, but just to say thank you so much. And we're praying for you and we're so grateful for your life. And we're so grateful that you talked to us about Larry's life so that we can know him and, and, and learn from him and just in a sense be somehow connected. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you is enough. And I, I want to just express my thanks to you as well for letting me come on here and, and speak about Larry and, and our girls and tell our story. And thank you for you and your husband and your service because you serve as well. Military families are amazing and they serve our country well, just as well. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your service. You're welcome. I'm very, I, I love all military families and you're right. Military families are amazing. It's just, it's an amazing group. I'm astonished by everyone I meet. And a very quick shout out to two in particular, two military wives that I love and that have done so much for me in so many ways and still do. But Stephanie Bordelon and Kristen McGowan, you are good, good, good people. Thank you for loving me and and my family. And they are military wives and families as well. Their husbands are in the military. And those two in particular have just been and continue to be a shining light. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to them and to all military families. We love you. Thank you for everything you do and everything that you sacrifice and all the frustrations, but all the joys too. I am, I am proud to be a member of the military family group and our prayers are always with you. Always. And we're very, very proud of you. Um, no matter what anybody says, we're very, very proud of you for that. So turning our attention now to a little bit lighter of a subject here really quickly, we've got We've got five things, Wesley. These are five things. It's something kind of new I've been starting here with my guests. Five things that I have for you. These are your five things. I'm going to have some five questions for you. Don't worry. It's nothing terrible. Hopefully, you find this relatively pain painless. So the first one is, number one, you cannot name the Bible. Okay, So that's off the table right now. You can't name the Bible because that's an easy go-to. But what is, as of lately or maybe ever, you can choose however you'd like to answer that piece. But what is your favorite book? Oh, wow. The first book right off the top of my head is a book called Lions of Kandahar. It's written by Rusty Bradley, a Green Beret as well. And I know Rusty just from um, Fort Fort Bragg days, actually. And and he was a member of our church and just another military story. And he was a a team leader um, in special forces and just talks about his time in Afghanistan, his time in, in Kandahar and just a really, really wonderful book. Excellent. Awesome. And of course, as you all know, I'm going to leave uh, links to all of these things that Wesley's talking about if she, ha- if she happens to mention a book and some of the other books that she's mentioned, the other book by the Military Widow book too. So all of that will be in the show notes. Yeah. And yeah, then, sure. okay, so your second, your second question here of Wesley's five things. Here we go. All right. Mm-hmm. So in the very, very, very distant future, okay, a long time from now, you die and you go to heaven. All right. What do you want to hear from Jesus when you're at the pearly gates? I want to hear from him. It's going to make me cry. I want to hear him say, well done, faithful servant. You know, I, I want him to to be proud of me and be proud of the life that I've lived and 
I just, you know, I wanted to say that and I want a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you on the hug part. I would definitely include that. That's beautiful. Thank you, Wesley. All right. So number three, what is something that you're not very good at? I am not good at delegating. Even when I was in the army where delegation is something you must do, I'm not very good at that. I sometimes follow the, you know, if you want it done, do it yourself. Do it, if you want it done right, do it yourself. And, and that's <laughs> not good because you don't grow other people. Larry was so good at delegating. He was so good at, at just giving a task or giving an order to his guys and letting them learn and letting them grow and letting them execute that order. Where I, it's very difficult for me, even in the kitchen with my daughters, teaching them how to cook, you know, it's hard for me to kind of go, oh, you're making a mess. Oh, stop. No, I'll just do it myself. You know, so delegation, I am not very good at delegation. Very good. Very good. All right. So, okay. Number five, the last one here of Wesley's five things. If you could be anything, if you could do anything, except what you're doing now. So you have to eliminate that. Like if you could be anything, do anything, what would that be? What is it? I would want to fly helicopters. Oh, I wow. just, I love, I love flying. I love traveling. Either maybe I would like to fly either a plane or a helicopter. Um, I had several friends while I was in the army. I was in the medical service corps and some of them went to flight school at Fort Rucker, Alabama to be medevac pilots. And I always thought that was the coolest thing. And I have, I have not very good eyesight. I've always had to have glasses or contacts. And back then, you couldn't be an aviator with poor vision. Right. And nowadays, you can do the laser vision correction and everything. And so nowadays, all that can be corrected. But but that was one thing that I, I, I did want to do. And I was a little bit envious of my peers who got to go to flight school and learn how to fly medevac helicopters. And you wouldn't be scared? You wouldn't be scared? No, no. I don't have a fear of heights at all. So, um, so I went to airborne school, jumped out of airplanes, went to Air assault school and repelled that helicopter. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love, I, I love heights. I don't know, that's weird, but I would love, that's, that's one thing that I kind of felt like, oh, I kind of missed, which clearly wasn't God's plan for me. But if I could do anything, if I could go back and do anything different, I would like to, I would like to be an aviator in the army. I'd like to fly helicopters. Nice. Okay. So I just realized that I, I missed one question and I think it's very funny that I missed this one. Okay. So here it is. So I want to go back to number four here. Number four, this is this is the final one. This completes five full questions here for you. On a scale of one to 10, one being not at all, absolutely not, 10 being, oh my goodness, we should call somebody. How weird are you? How weird am I? Yeah. Oh, I would say about a five. Okay. Um, Do you have any stories to explain it? Well, it depends on the circumstance. So I, I fall completely in the category of that type A, type B personality where I I can be funny and I can be kind of the light of the room, but it depends on the circumstance. And then I have to retreat and I have to have my quiet time. Yes. So um, now my daughters might, well, my daughters would believe, would, would agree with that too. But when I'm, when I'm at home and when it's just us or we're on a road trip somewhere, we can be really crazy and really funny but if we're, you know, if we're out in public, then maybe not. <laughs> yeah, we have to tone it down, right? You got to tone it down. People can't know completely the real weirdness scale that you have when you're... I completely agree. When I'm in my kitchen with my kids dancing, I definitely would not do those moves in public ever because right. um, <laughs> because people don't need to see that. That is just like a ridiculous movement thing going on. I'm a terrible 
singer, so I sing all the time. But my kids don't know it yet. <laughs> they're they're exactly. they're way too young, so we have to tone it down. All right, very good. All right, so the very last thing that we'll do before we wrap up is if you could please, we would love it coming from you. If you could please give us a challenge for our listeners today. The best challenge um, is a little bit of a long story, I think. I call them listening halts. And it's a, it's a military tactic that we learned um, when we were learning how to patrol. And when, uh, when, when soldiers go out on patrol, you leave the protected area and go a couple hundred meters. And then you stop and you take a knee or you lay down in the prone and you listen to the environment. And that's the time when really the squad leader or the point man gets out the compass and um, checks the azimuth, checks the direction they're going in. They might check their pace count to see how far they've gone. And really it's that listening halt when the leader gets his bearings and then says, okay, we're on the right right track. Um, it's also a time to just be still and listen to the environment. So I have never lost the concept of a listening halt and the value of that. And, and I translate that to a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that is, be silent and listen to the whisper of God. And I would challenge our listeners right now to take a listening halt and reflect on your life and look back and try to see those building blocks, those tools, those influences that have come alongside you that God has has given to you. And just think about that and, and ask yourself, what has shaped my character? What has influenced my life? And once you figure that out, share that with somebody. Because I think just like it says in Acts 420, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so once you figure that out after that listening halt, share that with somebody, share that with, with your children or your friend or your husband or your wife or your mother or father, and just let that be known and share those influences because, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in our country and in our world today. And, and we sure could use some good news. And I think we just need to encourage each other and share what we've learned, share what we've seen and heard. Absolutely. And find the common denominators, find the common ground, right? It's not, we're so divisive. We're so just like, well, you're not exactly like me. You know, your life isn't exactly like mine. So I'm going to find a way to disagree. And I think that that listening halt helps us look at one another as, you know, as redeemed children of God, right? As his own and says like, look, there's a lot in common here. Like we should work together. Let's stop trying to just find the differences because you're always going to find differences because we are all unique and unrepeatable. So for a variety of levels, there's going to be many differences, but there's a lot in common. And whenever you take the time to listen, you know, to listen to your environment, to kind of get your bearings, it gives you a sense of moving forward with a little bit more peace and purpose. Yes. Yes. Larry used to say, you know, sometimes people do ready, fire, aim. Right. And yes. So ready, fire. Like they so, so much right now. It's just, it's such back and forth with such a fury, such a, so quickly back and forth. But if we pause and we take that listening halt and we reflect on where we are just for a second. And like you said, find that common ground because there's so much more that unites us than that divides us. Amen. And, you know, there, and there is so much more good in the world than there is evil that if we just, you know, we got to highlight the good as much as we can. Yes. Um, yeah. Work for yeah. the good. And, and like you said, I love the scripture that you're working off of in Acts. And right there later in Acts, when you're talking about listening and sharing, it calls us to be witnesses right there in Acts. It says, you are you are my witnesses that I'm sending with the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it is beautiful to see all that comes together. So you listen, you share, you witness to the good that God is doing in your heart and in your life. And, and you, you know, 
you can't do that unless you take those listening halts. If you're constantly moving, if you're just never spending time in prayer, if you're never spending time in the quiet of your heart, of your conscience, of your soul, of listening to what's gone on and what Christ might be speaking into your life in that moment, it's hard to kind of figure out what to do next. Right. That's it. That's yeah. it. You have to Amen. listen to the whisper of God because he's there and he will tell you what to do. Right. Absolutely. He is. And and a lot of times he does whisper. So you have to really listen. You have to, you got you to gotta get your mind, you got to get your heart, you got to get your life in a place of of some contemplation of some peace and some, some literal, some like literally quiet time to give ourselves the gift of being able to, to hear that whisper of God in our hearts, because, you know, he does show up. He does not hide from us at all. He is always there. Wesley, thank you. I mean, I know I I can't say it enough, so I'm not even going to try, but I just thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for talking with us and sharing your life and with us and sharing all that you've learned and that you're still learning. And I, I'm so excited for people to pick up a copy of your book, God Country Golf. I'll make sure I leave the link there where you can get your copy. It is, it is really great. I am, I am so thankful that I took the time to read this book in my life. It has brought so much to me. I know it'll do the same to you. It is a wonderful book for you to give for yourself or for a gift for somebody. I promise you, you will not be disappointed and you will not, you will not look back on the time spent reading that book and think, anything could have been done better. It was a great use of my time. Thank you so much, Leah. I appreciate that so much. And I have enjoyed this very much. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours. And I'm really looking forward to reading your book. I pre-ordered it and it should be on the way pretty soon. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. you And God bless you for all you're doing. And this is a great podcast and just a wonderful message. Amen. Thank you so much. All glory be to God for all things. And so you know how I'm going to wrap it up, my friends. You know what I'm going to say. The challenge, you know, that I give you every single time and every single day is number one, take Wesley's challenge, do the listening halt. And in doing that, you truly will be doing something beautiful for God. Give yourself the gift of peace and quiet with the Lord. Listen to the God's whisper into your heart. And remember, whatever you do, do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And we'll talk to you soon. 